three months ago um, when I began considering what I might preach on leading up to Easter. Uh, obviously I set her on doing the last seven words of Jesus from the cross and we're on the third one today. And at that time I read this about today's passage and it just took me completely by surprise. The day of Jesus' crucifixion was not, I am sorry to disappoint anyone, was not the first Mother's Day. And I absolutely scratched my head because I've never ever heard it in that context. So I did the diligent thing, I looked up Mr Google. And Mr Google showed me it's a very popular idea that at the foot of the cross there was the first Mother's Day. I'd never thought of it that way. And the story goes something like this. Here we see Jesus dying on the cross for his mother uh, and there he sees his mother and he thinks of her welfare. And so now we must be good people and think of our mother's welfare. Wacky do. Now I'm not a mother, but I'm pretty sure all the mothers I know here want to be taken care of and thought about. And then I did a bit of further reading just to satisfy my curiosity and realised this went all the way back to St Augustine in the 4th century. And St Augustine has been a great influencer on the Christian faith and the Christian story. My reflections on these words around Jesus did acknowledge that Jesus was in a moment of deep anguish as he bore the titanic weight of the sin of the whole world in his body at that moment. The innocent one, one of us, dying for us. Acknowledged that and there he graciously remembered the commitment of family love. Much broader. That he had an amazing self-forgetfulness as he stayed on mission hanging on the cross. It's quite profound to think about that. You know, what do we do when we're in our own dark spaces? It's not others that we think of. But my reflections in preparation for today have led me to believe that this crucifixion day that we've referred to this morning and these words of Jesus was something infinitely more embracing, more universal and more radical. E.C. Hoskins, a writer on the gospel in the 1940s, said this about this. At the time of the Lord's death, a new family, a new community is brought into being. And that really set me off. So these are some of the reflections. I won't give you all of my reflections on about what's happening there when Jesus looks at his mother Mary and says, here's your son, referring to the beloved disciple John who wrote the gospel and said to John, here's your mother. You see, family and church, the church is certainly one of the goals of the life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel of John tells us that Jesus wants to bind himself to united fellowship of believers with whom he could live. Forever, that's an amazing thing. Jesus wants to unite himself with a group of believers forever. 
Leon Morris was a great New Testament scholar, an Australian, uh, an Anglican, written what is still held as to be one of the most foremost treatises on the Gospel of John. Uh, he said that the Gospel of John is a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. A child may wade and an elephant may swim. So he's saying it's both simple and it's profound. It's for the beginner in the faith who's just tipping their toes in there, bang, there's something there for them. And it's for the mature Christian who wants to wrestle. Its appeal is immediate. There's something there on reading, but there's something that's never failing. It kind of keeps on giving, you know, that television ad, there's more, there's more, there's more. That's John's gospel for someone who wants to keep going into it. And that's the riches that I found over these last few months in prep. So here we go. In the fourth gospel, it seems that the mother of our Lord is not seen as being or playing the role of Jesus' mother. In all of John's gospel, the mother of Jesus is mentioned only twice, and her name, Mary, is actually never mentioned. Gospel of Luke really hangs out on that. She seems, as we read the gospel of John, to play a symbolic role. That's what the writer wants us to see. In both her appearances in John's Gospel, the one at the foot of the cross that we've just read, and the other one was at the marriage of the Feast of Galilee. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus calls her woman. That sounds quite rude, doesn't it? Oh, the little old woman's back home today. You, you know, we do it in Auslan. Sounds quite rude. Now, it's not quite as disrespectful as that in, in Jesus' day because a man would address a woman that way, but it is not the language of a son addressing his mother. There is other language for that, and it's not used. So there's something more at stake here. If we go to the wedding at, the Cana, at Cana of Galilee, um, you might remember the story, it's a big wedding feast that um, Jesus, his mother and disciples and others are invited to and the wine's running out very early. And, and Mary goes to her son Jesus and says, come on, you need to do something about this. And this is his response. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Interesting. Why do you involve me? What do you want me to get involved in this marriage feast for? My time has not yet come and what was the time for Jesus when I'm lifted up the hour has come and I will draw people to myself that's his time he's saying something to Mary that's not a son to a mother that he calls Mary woman and not mother is probably indicating that there's a new relationship forming between these two and it's not mother's son but she's now becoming a disciple a follower of Jesus this is apparently how this language is working here she's learning to be a follower of Jesus and so that's how Jesus is addressing her here this is this is not my time my time is the cross and it seems that Mary represents a follower of Jesus in the gospel of John 
She does not appear again in the fourth gospel except in passing company with a couple of others until his hour actually does come and he is crucified. And from the cross, once again, Jesus calls her woman rather than mother. Dear woman, here is your son as he hands her into the care of the beloved disciple John. It seems that her identity as Jesus' mother is not that important to John. As John's gospel presents her, when her son enters upon his ministry, she becomes a follower, as others do. And Mary stands out as a really faithful disciple in this gospel, one who follows Jesus right through his ministry from beginning to its ghastly end on Skulls Hill. How many other followers of Jesus were there at Skulls Hill? Apparently only the beloved disciple, the rest had deserted him, remember, through the scenes leading up to the crucifixion. So here's follower Mary and John. And it's probably at this moment, you might remember when um, Jesus was presented at the temple by Mary and Joseph and Simeon took the little babe in his arms and blessed him and then said to Mary, this child's going to bring a sword that's going to pierce your heart and I reckon this was the moment when she was actually feeling that the deepest when she could see this is it I've lost my son he's crucified and Jesus speaks to her and he speaks to the beloved disciple from the cruel cross these two unrelated believers there's no blood relationship between them he gives them to one another in a bond that's as good as or greater than family bond. He gives his mother to the beloved disciple John and he gives him to her in a completely new kinship that transcends blood relationships. It's about the new community that is coming into being through the power of Jesus and these words begin to demonstrate that. Here beneath the cross of Jesus is a new fellowship being created. It's the new covenant written in the blood of Jesus. If we flick across to Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, we see the same point being made in a different way. And here's that story. A crowd was sitting around Jesus and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mothers and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my brother, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, my mother. See the disciple element there? Here we see Jesus calling people into a new relationship with himself, with one another. It's not that he has no room for his own family. What we see happening here is that mothers and fathers and cousins and sisters are newly created by the Spirit of Christ where there is no blood relationship at all. Just take a look around. See your mothers, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your uncles, your aunties. Isn't that true? And for many of you, you don't have your blood relatives here. This is the kinship. Are we starting to get a bit of the power of this thing? 
that Jesus speaks from the cross. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Beneath that ugly cross, a new community was being called into being by the self-forgetfulness and the power of Jesus' love for humanity. The two who remain at the cross represent to us the beginning of the church in the moment of the Lord's degradation, humiliation and suffering under death. It's an amazing thing when you consider the circumstances and what's happening. Now, if we look at John's Gospel as a big Gospel, there's a little bit of teaching as well as preaching going on here this morning. If we look at that Gospel of John and we look at the letters of John that he wrote, there is quite a deal of concern for the church in those letters, even though it's not formed. Uh, even the church itself is not formed. But we can miss it with our brief and our very individualistic reading of scriptures, which has been pointed out to us a couple of times this morning. We see the faith very individualistically. Jesus here is trying to blow that apart. It's not individualistic. Yes, you have to make a personal decision, but you become part of a community that cares. And so when we do that, and if we're not looking for these references to community, then we're going to miss them. Yeah, I know in the early part of John's Gospel, the beloved disciple writes beautifully crafted stories of Jesus meeting with individuals. John just does it well. The Samaritan woman, you just keep getting drawn into it and you just want to keep reading it, don't you, to get to the end and see what happens. Nicodemus, the ruler who goes to Jesus by night, so beautifully written. The woman caught in adultery. What an amazing story of an individual who meets Jesus. The man born blind, Thomas, that beloved disciple. That's just a few. But as the Gospels go, in particular as they get densely packed in chapter 14 on in John's Gospel, the overwhelming emphasis is not on individuals, but it's on community. It's on the organic connection that Jesus creates between his followers. We need to hear this in an individualistic society. We really do. And it reaches its apex in chapter 15. Chapter 15... I am the vine, you are the branches. One rootstock, the vine, Jesus. The rest of us are grafted onto that vine because we belong on that vine and we belong together. Why does the, the guy, the father, go around pruning his vineyard and just nipping bits off the branches so they don't get all tangled up and messed with each other and so they do what? Produce fruit together. We produce, that's the picture of John 15. It started in John 14, it's full blown in John 15. An amazing picture. I did preach on that, I remember, earlier in my time here. Did I, I think. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be in relationship, in communion with other followers of Jesus. That is the picture. John didn't make his disciples independent and self-centered. There you go, off you go, and you be yourself. He says, no, you come and connect to me and connect with these others. Become interdependent and other-directed. See, the branches on the vine are directed other to the fruit. 
so that fruit is produced. The night before Jesus was crucified, he washed his disciples' feet in John 13, and then he said this to them, a new command I give you, plural. As he did in John 15, all the yous in John 15 are plural. We read them as individualistics. No, it's about me. No, it's about us. And this is about us. I give you a new command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know what? That you are my disciples. How on earth is the world going to see that we are disciples of Jesus? It's when we do it together, loving each other. That's how the world gets a picture of Jesus. Can we see what's going on at the foot of the cross now? <laughs> Way more profound. In my view, this is my reflection. As Jesus prayed long and hard and earnestly what they call the great high priestly prayer in John 17, he's praying for the followers of his that are left behind. And this is what he prays. He's just about to be nailed to the cross and this is what he prays. I will remain in the world no longer, he says to his father, but they, they're still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them, this mob of followers, by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Do we get this community dimension of the gospel yet? Guess what? Who's part of that community that Jesus prayed for now? You and I. What's, what's Jesus doing now to the Father? He's praying that we will be one and one with the church around the world. So how he must grieve when he sees it fighting itself. Do we get the community dimension of the gospel? What we hear from the lips of the crucified Jesus as he speaks to his mother, who is really his disciple now, the relationship's changed, and the beloved disciple is a love that forgets self and focuses entirely on the well-being of the beloved community that is beginning. It's the love of the Father and the Son for us. It's not theoretical. It's worked out in self-giving on that cruel cross. And that self-giving has brought us into the beloved community of Jesus' followers. Because we've trusted in the forgiveness of Jesus, the first word of cross, and receive the salvation that he's given us, the second word of the cross. Now I have a couple of key verses that have guided me in my pastoral ministry over 40 plus years. One of them is really, well both of them are very important to me, but here's one of them, just one of them. Paul's been living in Ephesus for some time, some years encouraging the church and building it up and it's time for him to leave and so he gathers the elders together to say farewell to them and this is what he says in Acts 20 28 keep watch over yourselves so elders together listen council together look after each other 
Okay? We miss it. We just miss it. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Why? Because he bought it with his own blood. It's been so important to me as a pastor for 40 plus, plus years. Treat the church of God as it really is. The people bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying to each of us. It's not just to pastors, it's to each of us. Treat each other as precious to God because we've been bought with the precious blood of the Saviour who spoke the new community into being. Sadly, society in general is railing against the institutional church right now. Can't blame them, can we? And God knows the church has stained her own robes so badly that we can only repent in dust and ashes. The church perhaps has broken your heart with its sin and its behaviour. It's broken my heart more than a few times. And I've disappointed the church too. But that's not the last word about the church. The Christian community has a quality that critics out there don't know and don't understand. It's bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and it has something else going for it. We are not just a conglomerate of human beings who happen to think something like each other and want to be with each other because we're nice in some way. We are bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And out there, they don't know that. Maybe it's because we haven't expressed our love for one another well enough that lets them get a picture of Jesus. I'm not going there. There's plenty of sermons there. And for me, as I look as a pastor and look at church and look at stray sheep, there are many believers who say today, I can be a Christian without the church. Then I say, turn around and listen to the words of Jesus to Mary, his mother, and John, the beloved disciple, and tell him, I don't need the church. So there's critics without, critics within. But I reckon that view from those within renounces and forsakes the most basic and fundamental message of Jesus that we read in the Gospel of John and we see on his lips as he looks at his mother and the beloved disciple. Jesus is giving me to you and you to me, and you to them, and there and there, to care for one another and live out the love of the dying Saviour on the cross. Perhaps we all need here this morning to stop 
and look at this cross and get a different view of the church. Get the real picture. As I said earlier, there are too many disciples of Jesus who believe that they can be a follower of Christ without participating in the life of the church. You know, they're kind of saying, well, Jesus and I have got this real good thing going. I don't need anybody else. My pastoral ministry tells me that's one of the biggest loads of garbage I've ever heard. Because where do people turn when they're sitting out there? They've been sitting out there for years. Just Jesus and me, we're fine. Now they want a funeral. Hey, pastor, want a wedding in the family? Hey, pastor, want a kid dedicated? Hey, pastor, they're suffering from cancer. Hey, pastor, where are you? Well, I'm where you put me. So this is coming right out of my deep heart. I love being called out to those scenes, but I hate what people have done to themselves in separating themselves from the community of the cross. So sad that we miss the imagery of the vine and the branches. We miss the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. Dorothy Day is not, not Doris Day, don't confuse her. Dorothy Day is a Catholic writer and activist and she said this. I mean, it's so simple. You can't practice love without a community. <laughs> so obvious, isn't it? Well, it's not in today's society. We are so in danger of losing this sense of community. The world around us and all too often the sentiment of the church is to focus on ourselves, my time, my space, what's in this for me. It's not going my way. They're not doing things the way I want them to go. So we're urged daily. Look at the ads on telly. I wish I could throw three or four of them up there now. Be good to yourself. Develop yourself. Believe in yourself. This is counter to the words of Jesus to Mary and the beloved disciple. I've saved you, says Jesus, to participate in something that's never ever about you. He said to them, take care of each other. It is always for the good of the whole. That's the church when it's working the way it's supposed to be. It's working for the good of the whole. For all its sins, though many they be, the church is still the body of Christ himself. Thank God that Jesus, the head of the church, never gives up on us. We are loved by our Lord. He will never, ever remove that love. There is no limit to the love of Christ to overcome sin within the body, including sin within the body at Bentley. Okay? Never, ever get to a stage where you think that what you, what's going on in you is greater than the love of Christ. Please, I beg you. From the cross, Jesus has gifted us with a loving, caring, sustaining, encouraging family beyond family. And can I say, I will say it again, thank you for welcoming us into this family that is beyond our blood family. Thank you. Thank you for the way that you welcome others from distant places around our globe to this space and say welcome. Because it's all even 
at the foot of the cross. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Don't stop. Please. Don't stop. You see, at the foot of the cross is where we find mothers, brothers, sisters, sons, cousins that we never had before. You know what I mean. I'm not talking about the physical ones. I'm talking about the new ones in the blood of Christ. Beneath the cross of Jesus, we are not alone. It's a place for encouragement. It's a place to love one another. It's a place to pray for one another. It's a place to hear God's word. It's a place to serve one another. It's a place to care for one another. Do I need to go on? So let us all take courage in the care and the power and the provision of our Lord Jesus Christ to keep on making us the new community that he's made us. Let us believe in the power of the exalted Jesus. Amen. Amen.